Good morning to all of you, and glad to see you come out on this weatherly day and time. <laughs> the um, couple announcements, uh, keep in mind as being we are, as the elders have started to ask to have a time for prayer uh, for the congregation. If you want to join in that united prayer uh, time after the service, about five, ten minutes after the service here in the sanctuary, uh, you are welcome to stay and, and enter into that. Also, today is communion. Uh, if you are a guest in our congregation, there is in the bulletin uh, the uh, outline concerning whether you should take communion and with us, and uh, so that is clearly placed before you. There is a deacon's offering this morning as well. Also, there are some. There is an announcement concerning uh, the fellowship meal, which is next Lord's Day. Uh, keep in mind with that. Also, uh, this Thursday night, right here in the church, we're going to have a, a Christmas program and. Uh, Kristen Biden has put in a lot of time into that. So I hope that even if you're not participating with your own talent, <laughs> you will come and, and be part of that, uh, that time together of fellowship uh, in the congregation. So this Thursday night, the time of that is 6.30 here uh, at the church. Also keep in mind, also note the invitation uh, that's there in terms of, of Tim and Julie Ives. Uh, also make sure that you take attention of that. That would be a wonderful time as well of fellowship together with people in the congregation. I think that is it. And uh, so let us come together in silent meditation. Let us stand. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Well, let us do that. Let us turn to number 194 in the Red Trinity Hymnal, 194. Let us sing out to our Lord.
great God and Father, we are so thankful that the one who is God with us has come into the world and we are the recipients of his love, his grace, his mercy. We are thankful, O Lord, that he has not left us alone But he is present with us even this day by his spirit. And we thank thee for the spirit of the living God who joins us together in holy worship before his throne. We ask, O God, that all our hearts would be directed towards the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Historically, it is believed that the Apostles' Creed even precedes the Nicene Creed as the united voice of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ in terms of what we believe. So as we come together with our brothers and sisters through the centuries, let us come together with reciting the Apostles' Creed, which is found on page 845, 845 in the back of your hymnal, 845. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you confess that you believe, both with your lips and with your heart? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He had ascended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us come together in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we know that you are the one who delivers us from the bondage of sin. Your spirit has been so rich as it has been poured out upon the whole earth in magnifying and in strengthening and guiding, directing 
the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we, by your grace and privilege, are united unto. We ask, O God, that thy spirit would continue to bless thy people as they come together in fellowship and communion with each other this very day. We ask, O God, that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ would be that which is truly as Christ has described it as salt and light, that we are in this world of darkness that which is the city standing and sitting upon the hill. We are the vision in terms of that which is the vertical way unto salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his now steadfast place of residence where he intercedes for the church and for all believers in heaven at the right hand of the Father. We ask, O oh God, that as we cry out each day in terms of ourselves and in terms of our own journey, as those who have been given the special gift of thy grace, that we would be able to persevere through the various tests, through the various trials that are upon us. We think continually of the various aspects of the world in which our brothers and sisters in Christ are being held in a way in which they themselves are not able to worship freely. We think of persecution that is even beyond what we ourselves know, even in this nation. We ask for your continual guidance upon the spirits of thy saints throughout the world, that they themselves would be strong, would be bold, and faithful to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask, O oh God, that you'd be with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, even in the midst of our own denomination. We're thinking of Laura Hopp this morning, and we think of her ministry as she is an associate minister, excuse me, missionary in, in a faraway country. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would give to her also wisdom in terms of diaconate ministry as the costs of living in, in, of living in a place in which even that country is, has to endure the inflation that is coming upon them. We ask that you would provide for the needs of those people in terms of the service of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in that faraway nation. We ask that you'd also, back here at home, be with Matt and Lois Cotta. We ask that you continue to bless them in Pasadena, California. We thank thee, O Lord, for their ministry and their various ministries in terms of home groups that meet for the midweek Bible study. We ask for those who are preparing for those studies that you would give them wisdom and knowledge concerning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the clarity to see it in the scriptures and to present it to others. May the body of the Lord Jesus Christ be edified and strengthened. 
We ask, O oh Lord, that you would also be with the growth of that congregation, that they would be those people who are wanting more and more to understand the gospel and the kingdom of God in that, in that situation. We ask that you be with David Bass. We ask that you be with the ministry there in Idaho Falls. We ask that you bless his ministry both in word and in sacrament. We ask that you would give to him the power to preach the gospel and also the contemplation and the meditation upon thy word each week as it is communicated to thy people there. We ask that you'd be with the elders and the deacons in this congregation. We ask that you'd be, be a wonderful servant unto us as we serve thee in, this, in our capacity, that we would have wisdom in terms of those, our office and in terms of the execution and the diligence of carrying out that office in the midst of thy people. We ask that you'd be with the session meeting this week, that you would bless it and continue to watch over in governance of this church and this body of Christ here. We ask also that you'd be continually with the people in this congregation. We ask that you'd be with, with the Hunter family. We ask that you'd be with them as they come together. We ask for safe travel for them over this Christmas vacation as they come together and also the witness that they will provide to maybe unbelievers in their own family. We ask that you continue to be with Scott's mother and also father through this very difficult time. We ask that you would lift them up and strengthen them. We ask that you'd be also with Zachary. We thank thee for his life. We thank thee for his service in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that you'd bless him and all that he does. We ask that you'd also be with Lynn and as she, she continues to teach, give her strength and wisdom each day in terms of her own vocation and her own acts of willing service unto the Lord Jesus Christ and to others. Be with Stephen, as he is not here with us today, for he is ill. There are many others who are ill also in our congregation and with, the vi with, with viruses or flus or whatever, and we ask your healing upon them. Be with Stephen as he also continues to recuperate himself from a long-standing effects of COVID. We ask that you'd give him to complete recovery with that as well. We ask, O oh Lord, your pouring out of your blessing upon, upon the Brown family and upon their, their, their loved ones as they have lost, as they've lost Lynn's mother. We ask that you would be with them through this time of sorrow. Be compassionate unto them. Be the one who fills them with the Spirit, not only in terms of the morning, but also in terms of the triumph of your grace that she is now face to face with her Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful scenery that is for her. We ask that you'd be with those who have that void in their home. In terms of that, be with her father, especially through this time as he has lost his loving spouse in this journey, in this world. We ask you to be with him. We ask you to continue to be with David 
and be with Dave in terms of his, his own mother and the ministry that goes on to her. And we ask, O oh Lord, that she would see good days as well in terms of those times in which things are very difficult for her. Continue to give wisdom to the family concerning her care. We ask and we and praise your name also for what you have done for each one of us. We ask that you would continue to be also with, <coughs> with Debbie Donovan's father. We ask that you'd be with him each day, that each day would be a day on which he sees the rejoicing of the Lord and even in this very troubled time. Lift up the spirits of the family and lift up his spirit and give him your grace and endurance through this time in his life. We ask also and thank thee, O Lord, for Jan Shreve in terms of her own illness, that things are, are doing a little better. And we thank thee that she, that she had this week that was refreshing to her. We ask that you would bless all of us our, through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and that you would keep us in the walk of sanctification, in the sanctified life that is only through thy spirit, in Christ's name, amen. Let us stand and sing number 118, number 118. There are a couple of passages that I want you to look at before we continue on in terms of the passage that we are looking at in our series in Mark. I already have taken at least the first couple of verses in our call of worship this morning from Psalm 95. So if you would, you want to turn to Psalm 95, verses 6 through 11, verses 6 through 11. <clears throat> Psalm 
Psalm 95, verse, beginning at verse 6, listen carefully to God's holy infallible word. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, if you would, once again, I just want to, for distinct purpose, that will come out in the message, hear from Matthew's edition of the text that we'll be reading in Mark, that is Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, Matthew 16, verses 1 through 4, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say... It will be fair weather, for the sky is red in the morning. It will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For he left them and departed. Now, if you would turn over to Mark 8, 11 through 13. Mark 8, 11 through 13. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, you are the one who is clearly manifested who you are. People continue to demand further signs from the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord, this morning not to be blind to what Christ has done and has come to do in the creation 
for the people of God for their sake of glory. In Christ's name, amen. Do you ever get frustrated with how blind a person is when you present the gospel to them? How much evidence, how much proof do they need? What are they demanding from the gospel being presented to them? The person may be in a desperate condition. Loneliness, homeless, drugs, alcohol, a troubled family life, confused about whether there is any meaning in life. They seem to be ripe for the gospel message, and yet they turn away from the grace and the compassion that is found only in the gospel. On the other hand, there is the unbelieving person who seems to be on top of the world, well-paid vocation, if single, enjoys their independence, if married, has a well-adjusted and comfortable family life. So why would they need the gospel? They even may recite Sigmund Freud's analysis that religion is a crutch for those who cannot get through the grind of everyday life. If you have engaged this type of individual, you may be aware that their independent ego does not enable them to see that they are actual sinners in need of redemption. After all, they are predominantly good people who can recite the classic phrase, no one is perfect, everyone makes mistakes. Oh, congregation, in our desire to see the lost come to the glorious benefits of Christ, we do get frustrated when we have shared the gospel fluently and persuasively to them, and yet they do not budge. We may even cry out to the Lord, why are they not coming to the gospel? What else can I say? What else can I do to make them see how pleasant it is to live in Jesus and live in the love of Jesus who frees one from their self-centered life? As you desire to see the lost come to Christ, Please keep in mind one biblical truth concerning our sovereign God. You are the instrument that the Lord uses to communicate the gospel to the ears of humanity. You declare the evidence of the gospel to those whom the Lord puts in your path. But the Holy Spirit alone persuades the sinner of their need for Jesus. Simply put, you present the gospel in accordance with the word of God. 
but the Holy Spirit persuades the sinner. You present, the Holy Spirit persuades. Even with this biblical explanation, we may be thinking, how much more does Jesus have to say? How much more does Jesus have to do to convince the Pharisees that he is the Christ? The long-expected Messiah for Israel as well as for the world. Can I assume that many of us here this morning have run into the person who tells you that they would believe if somehow Jesus would reveal himself just to them. How have you responded if that has occurred to you? How have you responded to that person? You can tell them, no, you won't. And how do you know that? Because Jesus continually revealed himself to be the son of God. Both in word and in deed. And people rejected him. Why? Because of the depth of their fallen heart in sin. As Paul writes to the Corinthian church. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Elsewhere, Paul writes that the unrighteous suppresses the truth of the gospel. Please understand. Understand this as you enter Jesus' dialogue with the Pharisees in our text. Keep in mind how Mark is explaining the relationship Here, how he is explaining the relationship with the Pharisees. The scribes from Jerusalem and the Jewish elders. After their challenge about the disciples not washing their hands and according to the tradition of the elders, Mark does not present again these three groups together in opposition to Jesus In the rest of his gospel. We noted that Jesus' response to them in the context of the parable of defilement. Was a pronouncement of the last judgment upon those three elite Jewish institutions. This point is crucial to remember as we digest Jesus' brief confrontation of the Pharisees in Mark's gospel in comparison to Matthew's edition of this same incident. And that's why I read Matthew. In Mark's edition, Jesus does not give the Pharisees any clue about where to look for a sign. But in Matthew's edition. Jesus gives the sign of Jonah in the belly of the whale of the fish for three days, pointing to his death and resurrection. Mark is impressing upon the reader that the day of salvation is over for these Pharisees. Jesus is not providing any hint 
that they are even to look for a sign authenticating that his ministry is is from God. Jesus has already provided all the signs. Well, the hostility of the Jewish Pharisees is about to confront Jesus and the disciples once again. Yes, Jesus gets in his boat and goes to the western side of the sea. And the Pharisees come to him and begin arguing with him. There in verse 11. The Greek verb here has the meaning of a vigorous, heated discussion. Yes. Jesus can get into a heated discussion. The Pharisees are not coming with a peaceful spirit to reach a solution and an agreement between Jesus and themselves. No, they are before Jesus to make every attempt to discredit him. And this time to repeat, they are alone. No scribes from Jerusalem. And no Jewish elders. They are confronting Jesus about his identity on their own. With no other issue on their mind. What do I mean at this point that there's no other issue on their mind except the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, when the Pharisees are first mentioned by Mark in his gospel. Their concern is about Jesus' disciples fasting. Chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Next, they are concerned about Jesus' disciples going into the grain fields and picking grain on the Sabbath. Chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. And then they are really concerned that the disciples are not following their rituals about washing their hands before eating. Chapter 7, 1 through 8. In our text, their confrontation has nothing to do with the issues, the actions concerning Jesus' disciples. The disciples are not their concern. No, our text has, has everything to do with Jesus himself authenticating that his ministry, his activity, is from God. Their hostile argument with Jesus is to really press. They're really trying to test him. They are demanding a sign from heaven to prove that his ministry is actually from God himself. After all, their darkened hearts maintain that Jesus is purposefully misrepresenting who he is. In their judgment, Jesus is a fraud who is undermining their sacred traditions of Judaism. Although their hearts are darkened, they know exactly how to use Old Testament revelation to demand Jesus to authenticate his credentials. 
they use the term sign. They use the term sign. Which is packed with Old Testament revelation. Yes, a powerful revelatory word in which they are attempting to prove who Jesus is. So what stands behind the use of the word sign? In the Old Testament, a miraculous sign most often authenticates the true prophets of God. Yes, that is what Moses took before Israel as he went before them to take them out of the bondage in in Egypt and into the wilderness. Another quick example is Elijah calling fire down from heaven to consume his burnt offering to make folly the prophets and the idols of Baal. Although the Pharisees' request for a visible sign may be on solid Old Testament revelatory ground, what more evidence, what more proof do they need about Jesus? Jesus has shown clearly that he heals ailments of the physical body immediately by his mere touch. He has the power over the kingdom of Satan to cast out demons. He has shown on two occasions that he miraculously surpasses the ministry of Moses as the true bread of life, supplying 5,000 and 4,000 to their satisfaction. Moreover, he has come teaching and preaching the good news of redemption from sin, even the forgiveness of sin that is only found in his person. Grasp the gravity, the evidence, and proof of Jesus' ministry and activity. To invoke Paul's language, if I may at this point, these things were not done in a corner where they were not visible and enjoyed by fallen humanity. Are you grasping this yourself? If you're not, if you're not, then verse 12 will mean nothing to you. On the other hand, if you are grasping the glorious and the wonderful proclamation of the good news in Mark's gospel so far, then verse 12 grabs your heart with incredible and deep sympathy for your Savior. You can truly understand his hostile confrontation with unbelief, their skepticism, their blindness, their darkened hearts. 
Mark's description of Jesus' response to their argumentative request for a sign for heaven is extremely, extremely expressive. Please enter into and see Christ's response here. He sighed deeply in his spirit. The word here is a deep groan of distress, of displeasure. And he responds with a question. Why does this generation seek a sign? Why? And he follows that. He follows that by a pointed statement of judgment upon these Pharisees. Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. You may ask, (laughs) as you look at that statement, as you're looking at that in the text, you may even ask yourself, Where is the statement of judgment in this comment by our Savior? Well, the answer to that is that it is in the construct of the opening phrase. Look at that opening phrase. Truly I say to you, it is the only second time in Mark that this phrase appears. Its previous use is a key. It occurs in chapter 3, verse 28, in which he informs us how serious, which informs us about how serious this phrase is upon the lips of Jesus Christ. It is when he tells the scribes from Jerusalem that the sin against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now Jesus is making clear to the Pharisees that no sign is going to be given to this generation, this particular generation of Pharisees who have entered the final judgment of God because of their willing commitment to unbelief. Are you now seeing why Mark, unlike Matthew, does not even include the signal about the sign of Jonah to his readers? The final judgment of God has already arrived for these Pharisees. Their hearts are full of hate, Prejudice, jealousy, envy, scorn, and evil towards Jesus. And hence, notice the text, and hence, Jesus simply left them. Verse 13, he got into his boat and went to the dominant Gentile eastern side, 
where he brought 4,000 people into the authentic sign that he has more power and authority than Moses, that he is the sole object of good news to a fallen world. Don't miss that these Pharisees even exceed, these Pharisees in our text, even exceed the unbelieving wilderness generation that Moses confronted. After all, the Lord of the covenant to Israel is standing right there before them. And in Psalm 95, why we read that text, the author gives a clear statement about the Lord's animosity towards that 40-year generation that put the Lord to what? To the test. That generation had to prove God. Psalm 95, verse 9. God's response to the wilderness generation of Israel is easily applied to the Pharisees here in our text. They went astray in their heart and did not know the ways of the Lord. Psalm 95, 10. Yes, that is their existence. Then comes the sobering comes the sobering word of the Lord in judgment, in judgment concerning recorded in the psalmist. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That is the Lord's salvation. Verse 11. Of Psalm 95. Yes, the generation of the Israelites in the Old Testament wilderness are the forerunners, are the forerunners to this Pharisee generation before Jesus. But this time Jesus removes himself in judgment from their presence. The Pharisees are given up to the dead under the manna and the quail of the Old Testament journey. Moreover, this is not so for those who have assembled to listen to Jesus and to be fed by him in their wilderness journey. Once again, do not miss that when Jesus departs from the 5,000 and the 4,000, they are completely satisfied by the bread of life and the true divine evangelist who is, Jesus is, the true evangelist, a fisher, a fisher. Of men. On each occasion, Jesus' ministry has the divine authentication in those feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 of the miracle as a sign. 
the evidence, the proof that he is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in that feeding of the 5,000. Jesus there, when he fed the 5,000, as you recall, he looks. He looks up to heaven for the Lord's blessing upon relieving hunger. And in the feeding of the 4,000, he blesses the elements and the people who are about to enter into a whole new realm as Gentiles. They are entering Israel's history as their own history in which they now are completely a faithful and satisfied generation of the gospel of God, members of the kingdom of God, of which Jesus is one's soul contentment in all of life. You see, you see, congregation, even Jesus' earthly ministry is characterized by the fact that he acts in presenting himself. But the Holy Spirit is the one who persuades In our text, Mark has made it clear that it can be, that there can be no doubt that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who reconciles all things unto himself in a fallen creation. The evidence, the proof, is staring humanity, all of humanity, in the face. His person, his identity as the Holy One of the Highest is authenticated by his supernatural acts in history. Yes, it is frustrating when such a gospel is clearly before humanity and those who are lost dig in and fortify themselves around a fallen agenda that has no hope, that is, li- that is limited and given to dust, to dust. But remember, more than any of us more than anything that we go through ourselves. Jesus lived the life of frustration before we have. As the one who has freely come and given his life for sinners. And yet so many, so many refuse to bow their knee to him and worship him. Let that not be any of us this morning. Let's pray.
We ask, O Lord, for your continual steadfast love, which endures forever, even for us. We know the trials of life. We understand the things that come upon us. And yet, O Lord, you are the one who gives us your grace and love. We ask, O God, that you would enable us to understand more and more fully the person of Jesus Christ, so clearly presented in the gospel. And even as this, at this point, the disciples are not even getting it. So, Lord, we thank thee for your patience, your endurance with many of us. And we ask, O Lord, that you would also continue to bless us. And we ask that in your love and in your grace, that you would instill in each one of us who are here this morning the wonderful satisfaction of knowing and loving and living in Jesus Christ. May that be our hearts and in our walk each day, all our life. In Christ's name, amen. As we make our way to the table, let us stand and sing number 247. Parents may go and get their children from the nursery at this time. Number 247 in the Red Trinity Hymnal.
as I edited the message this morning, I was going to end on a note that will make a lot of sense to you from 1 Corinthians 1. I think you will see the point. I decided to stop where I did (laughs) and read it as our text before coming to partake of the Lord's Supper. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 as we come to the supper this morning. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will toward. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs. In Greeks, Seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What are you looking for this morning? Are you seeking more signs from Jesus? Is it not sufficient what he has done and accomplished for us? Are you seeking the wisdom of the age that is before you out there? There's no hope out there terms of the wisdom of the age. You are seeing it before you, absolute confusion. Christ has come. He is the one. He is the one who has fulfilled all history in terms of his death for our sins. He has reconciled us to our creator. He is the one 
who is alone, the mediator between you as sinner and a holy and righteous God. It is only through him by which you come into the presence of God. It's through the cross, the great atonement, sacrifice that gives you the joy that is in your heart even now, that you have such a glorious position in glory itself. Let it be upon the hearts of all of us this morning that Jesus Christ and him crucified is absolutely the satisfaction of your soul the satisfaction that gives you all the meaning of life you in Christ are in the heavenly places united to him now congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ those of you who confess the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart and in your mind please come partake of these elements in which the spirit of God is with us his presence is here to encourage you give you nurturing strengthen your faith for your walk and your service to the Lord Jesus Christ in the coming weeks Partake with the body of Christ together in a united, in an united way in which you yourself are part of that wonderful, glorious body. The congregation also, there is the warning, a serious warning that is given that if you are living in any kind of decadent, unrepentant sin, you must stay away from the table at this point. Seek reconciliation with your Lord and Savior. Come in repentance and faith and be joined unto him. If you are a visitor, you are welcome at the table If you are a member in good standing at a church, please join that believes in the gospel, preaches the gospel. Please join us for the supper, as you know, is Christ's supper for the church, just not for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Congregation, as we come and examine our own hearts, before the table that has come together in silent prayer, then I will lead us in prayer. Let us pray.
our Lord and our God, as we come confessing that which is even in our own heart. Please enable all of us to understand that as we confess and seriously repent, thou art the one who is free to forgive. And that forgiveness is clearly placed on the cross by the Son of God. Have our hearts, have our eyes fixed upon Christ and what he has accomplished for us so that we walk totally forgiven. What a mighty word that is in Scripture, that word of reconciliation. What joy, what glory it is to have that upon our own hearts in our own lives. Bless this thy meal to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. On the night in which our Savior was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body which is given in remembrance of me. Let me remind those of you who may be interested, that which is wrapped is for the gluten-free bread.
Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Our Savior also took the cup, having given thanks, gave it to his disciples. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink ye all of it. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink ye all of it. Let's pray. The bread of life has come, and those who confess his name with their lips and in their hearts 
are satisfied. Oh, Lord, help us to continue to be satisfied in not hunger for the elements in this world. In Christ's name, amen. Let us stand for the glory of God. our God, we are so grateful to have the joy of redemption that is found in Christ. What a gift it is. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would continue to provide the ministry of thy church with the gifts that thy people so freely bestow to the church. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. We will now worship the Lord our God with both offerings. There are two offerings this morning. The first is the general and then the second is for the deacon's offering.
remember about five or 10 minutes after the prayer session for those who wish to stay. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.